Hello and welcome to the First Right Podcast, a weekly conservative news show brought to you by Restoration of America. I'm your host, Jerry Ewalt, and today we are blessed to have on our show Dr. Jennifer Morse, founder of the Ruth Institute, an interfaith international coalition to defend the family unit in today's chaotic society. All right, well, Jennifer, it is a pleasure to have you on the show today. Well, thanks for having me. I have had a great time interviewing your colleague, uh, Hayden, uh, Hayden Ludwig. Uh, we talked with him about his great, very good report that he did on um, Warren Buffett and Warren Buffett's funding of abortion, just appalling amounts of money that these people have put into promoting abortion and contraception or all the rest of it so yeah the the, the butcher the butcher of omaha we, we like to call him around here but uh yeah yeah and i think that fits in perfectly with the topics we're going to be talking about which is you know some very uh, contentious issues in terms of gender and family but before we get into all those details uh and we want to hear from you on this just give us a little bit about your background and tell us a little bit about the ruth institute Okay, so the Ruth Institute is an international interfaith coalition to defend the family and build a civilization of love. And I got interested in family issues because in 1991, um, we adopted a two and a half year old boy from a Romanian orphanage. And then six months later, I gave birth to a baby girl. And so we had in our home two children, three years apart in chronological age, but they arrived within six months of each other. And so it was kind of like a controlled experiment, you could say, you know? Um, And what I concluded, what my husband and I concluded is that, you know what? Kids really truly need their parents. Mm. And if uh, if the parents are absent or negligent in important ways, uh, it's it's absolutely devastating for the development of the child. The children have a developmental window, a period of time, they, they only get one year to be a two-year-old, you know, and if mom and dad are preoccupied with the new boyfriend or new girlfriend or uh, mom and dad are quarreling because they weren't never, they never got married or, you know, all these different things that are now uh, routine in our culture. Uh, if mom and dad are preoccupied and not really available to attach the baby. You really, it's really hard to make that up afterwards, you know, and so that experience convinced me that experience, I should say, Jerry, moved me from being a free market economist who takes laissez-faire, let everybody do what they want as the default mode, and showed me that there's no invisible hand that's gonna raise kids for you. You know, you, you can't just let people do whatever they want and it'll all work out like but through some invisible hand. That's not how the family works. And it, it just propelled me into thinking about the whole thing very differently. So, so having children uh, in the household, it really took your career in a totally different path. I mean, you're doing economics. And now here you are as the defender of the family unit uh, as we speak today. Yes, that's right. That's right. And a lot of my econ friends, one has to say, my very first book was called Love and Economics. And I wrote that over 20 years ago now. And it, the theme of that book was that the economy needs people to have a conscience and to control themselves, to keep their contracts, to not go into the supermarket and shoplift anything they can get away with, that we free market economists are counting on people to have some kind of self-command and ability to be to be reciprocal, respect other people. We're counting on that. Well, yeah. Nobody's born like that, you know? I mean, two-year-olds don't respect property rights. I mean, you still have <laughs> to do something, you know, to move them along. And so that was the theme of love and economics. And I, and I have to say that my economist colleagues who had some kind of faith background, they all understood exactly what I was saying. Sure, and sure. didn't matter whether they were Jewish or Catholic or Mormon, you know, they got it. But the ones who were purely secular, 
went Didn't right make by sense. him. You know, made him mad. Made him mad. You yeah. Know? So it's it's turned my life in a very different direction. I, I lost some friends and I got some new friends. So well, well, that that happens, and it, it God clearly called you at the right time to kind of shift gears in what you were doing at your career. I think so. You founded the institute in two thousand and eight which was right. a very interesting time period in our country, right? Because at, at this time period, this, we were locked in a, ba- a battle discussion, a debate around same-sex marriages. So we got Prop 8, uh, in, um, yeah, Prop 8 in, in California, right, at this time, and then the Defensive Marriage Act passed by Bill Clinton. So there was a lot of movement going in, down the conservative path around you know, families and, and, and keeping it yeah. between a man and a woman. Now, um, flash forward to 2013, and the courts overturned uh, both DOMA and uh, Prop 8. So uh, mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about the impact that that had on the family and what we see today. Oh, criminy, how long do we have? Oh. <laughs> um, uh, well, it, it's funny that you mentioned Proposition 8, because when I founded um, the Ruth Institute in 2008, I thought the Ruth Institute was going to be something that would talk to young women about why the vocation of motherhood was really important and valuable, and they didn't have to wait until they made partner in the law firm or get tenure at a major university in order to start their families. You know, it'd be okay to start a family sometime before menopause, you know. Um, That's what I thought I was going to be talking about when I started the Institute in 2008. And then, since I was living in San Diego, Prop 8 just hit me, right, because um, people don't necessarily realize this, but Proposition 8 really began in San Diego. Um, the auxiliary bishop of that time was Salvatore Cordelion, and he got a bunch of Catholic businessmen together to raise the money to put it on the ballot. And once it was on the ballot, then the whole coalition came together. So I was, it was right there in my backyard, Jerry, and I, I, didn't, I didn't feel that I could sit it out and say, eh, this is not my issue, don't want to get involved. I, I really couldn't do that. So um, it, it was totally a God thing, you know, that I got thrown into the middle of that. I didn't choose. That's not a fight I chose, you know, but I ended up from 2008 till mm, two, 2000, well, 2013, for sure. Um, I was debating this topic constantly. Mm-hmm. And it really I, de- I developed some important arguments that I've never heard anybody else use, really. And uh, and, and in 2013, when they overturned DOMA, and they overturned Prop 8. I was, I was a campaign spokeswoman for Prop 8. And that's why I was out and about at law schools and church meetings and all kinds of things, you know. And, and there for a while, golly, you know, I'd go out one week and I'd have some arguments and they really worked. And everybody's like, oh, whoa, maybe she knows what she's talking about. And then the next week, that same stuff wouldn't work. You know, I was like, <laughs> what is going on here? You know, I, so, so I really had a ringside seat in that whole, in that whole thing. And I, and I became completely convicted, completely convinced that to say children need a mother and a father and we social conservatives aren't going to bracket off every other issue and we're not going to say anything about anything else, that that was a big mistake. Okay. Mm -hmm. I always wanted to say kids need their own mother and their own father. See, and as soon as you say that now divorce is involved and single parenthood is involved and heterosexual couples using uh, third-party reproduction, buying sperm and eggs, now that's involved. And what I want to say is all of that is objectionable. All of that is problematic, and we have to explain why and be prepared to say it without apology because kids have a legitimate interest 
in knowing their own parents, you know. And, yes. uh, you know, when the state says we're going to enforce a contract that um, that makes a father a legal stranger to his own child, you know, which is basically when, when a man masturbates into a jar and leaves it at the sperm bank, yeah. he has the assurance that yeah. uh, he will never have any legal responsibility for that child. Well, you know, that the state should allow such a thing, that the state should enforce such a thing. No, that's terrible. You know, you know really, I, I, I think, and I'm not ashamed to say that. It should all be outlawed. You know, gay yeah. people do it. That's not good. Straight people do it. No, it's just not good. It's not fair to the child. So, well, well, Jennifer, anyway. it's, it, yeah, no, I think it's clear that, you know, through all these experiences, I mean, you got thrown onto the national stage and you were at the, the heart of all this for, for quite some time. And you wrote a book recently called The Sexual State, How Elite Ideologies Are Destroying Lives and why the church was right all along. And in that book, you describe three interlocking ideologies that make up the sexual revolution that we see today. Talk about, just briefly describe those three ideologies and what impact that's having on the family today. Yes, yes. So, so and this is something I developed when I was debating gay marriage, you know, right. because I, I finally figured out that in their minds, the people I was debating, they had already mentally redefined marriage. They just wanted to have the legal stuff come along behind it, see. And as I go through these three ideologies, you'll see what I mean. So so the first big idea of the sexual revolution is that uh, a good society should do everything possible to separate sex and babies, mm. okay? That you should be allowed to have as much sex as you want without ever having a baby. If you have quirky lifestyle preferences, maybe later someday you can have a baby. Mm. But, you know... Basically, sex is a sterile activity, and that's the norm. Everybody should be able to expect sex to be a, a, a sterile activity. I call that the contraceptive ideology, mm -hmm. and that's obviously at the heart of the demand for abortion, right? Because yes. all contraception fails sometimes, and so abortion is the backup plan. So anyway, um, now, you, now you put that into the context of gay marriage. Of course, every gay marriage is sterile because their sex is intrinsically sterile, so if in your mind you've already said, well, sex is sterile activity, doesn't really have anything to do with babies, you know, you've kind of already separated yourself a little bit mm -hmm. from the a defense of marriage. All right. Yes. So then the, so then the second ideology um, is um, says that a, a good and decent society should separate both sex and babies from marriage, that you don't need to be married in order to have sex. You don't need to be married in order to have a baby. And marriage is, a, you know, um, a problem. It's on. It's um, un unnecessary restriction on people's liberty. Um, mm. And the underlying thought behind that, which is seldom completely expressed, but the underlying thought is that kids don't really need their parents, right? That the parents can shuffle their relationships as much as they want. Their relationships, their sexual um, uh, uh, commitments, and their sexual activity, their living arrangements, they can shuffle all that around whenever they want and kids are gonna be fine. Because kids are resilient, you see. Kids are so resilient that you know, they'll be fine. If the parents are happy, the kids will be happy. Mm -hmm. um, and I call, I call that the divorce ideology, right? And it, and it obviously includes not just divorce, but also unmarried parenthood, the way we have normalized unmarried parenthood, especially for the poor. Um, uh, and, and also all the third party reproduction things that I was just talking to you about, right. you know, that you should that you should buy a father for your child, that you should buy a genetic material for your child, right. but never have a Designer father. You know, right. You know, um, so, you know, again, taking that into the context of the debate over over whether we should have something like gay marriage, um, 
we've already decided that kids don't really need their parents. So what difference does it make if mom picks another girlfriend instead of mm -hmm. another boyfriend? You know, eh, whatever. You know, um, and then the final ideology is what I call the gender ideology. Um, this one has had a number of morphs, a number of uh, different changes and elements to it. Um, but the underlying idea, Jerry, is that the sex of the body is not particularly significant for anything. And, and so we can overwrite the sex of the body. Hmm. So in the early days uh, of feminism, men and, women were, men and women were supposed to be completely equal. And any differences that you saw between men and women were unjust and we should wipe them out and you know, do anything possible so that anything we could to make sure that the girls and the boys uh, played in the same number of sports leagues and things mm -hmm. like that. Um, but now we've gotten to the point where the sex of the body is so irre irrelevant that if a person wants to be the other sex that we are supposed to overwrite the body with technology and with medicine mm, right. and with legal, uh, legal, legal, legal constraints that say, well, what, now that I've said I'm a man, you have to call me he, you know, or I'm going to get mad at you or whatever. Right. Um, and, and, and so all of that is really, um, you know, a kind of mind body dualism which is one of the oldest heresies of the church when you really think about it. You know, this is what St. Augustine was fighting. This is what St. Mm -hmm. Thomas Aquinas was fighting in the Middle Ages, you know, the idea that the, the body is irrelevant and it's all about the spirit and the mind and all this stuff. Um, but that's the gender ideology. And, of course, that's directly related to gay marriage, right? Well, um, as, as, so Solomon would, as Solomon would say, there's nothing new under the sun. So uh, this, is, this is a repeat of things that we've seen throughout history. And as I heard you talk about these three ideologies, it, it feels like it's a progression, right? So you started with contra contraceptive, uh, then you went to divorce, and then gender. We seem to be in, in a, like a third phase of the ideologies that you're, you're describing. Uh, I think that's right. Yeah. I mean, they're interlocking chronologically. You know, a lot of the things are getting rolling around the same time, you know. So um, um, Griswold versus Connecticut, the the Supreme Court decision that overturned any restrictions on the use of contraceptions mm -hmm. by, married, by married people. That was 1965. 1968 is the beginning of no-fault divorce. Um, right. 1973, of course, is, uh, is Roe versus Wade. And the whole feminist revolution is in there, is in that mix as well. So they, I think it is good to see them as interlocking um, because what they all come down to, what they all point to is a, is a, uh, a, a, certain view of human sexuality right. and its place in our lives okay so as christians we have one view of human sexuality the sexual revolution okay. has a different view of human sexuality you know yeah. they think it's they think it's a recreational activity and that all the old taboos were unnecessary and probably harmful you know people are getting neurotic because they can't have enough sex you know that kind of thing right. that's you know that's where they are and we're over here saying no sex is sacred is sick and, the, and every child is a gift from God yes. and that every human being has the right to come into existence as an act of love mm. between their mother and their father. Um, and the child is, a, is, is procreated. We don't make the child. We don't, we procreate, we cooperate with God um, and right. his love and our love comes together to make that child. And all of that's built into the body. So we embrace the body. We're not mad at the body. We're not at war with the body all the time, you know? Um, which, mm -hmm. um, which the sexual revolutionaries, you know, for all their self-indulgence, they are also at war with their own bodies. 
Yeah. Kind of crazy. No, we, we're seeing that very clearly with the, the gender transitions going on right now. It's 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 so sad to see these stories, and, and we'll jump into that a little bit. But what what I'm what it's clear to me is that we didn't just back into the sexual revolution. This isn't something that just kind of happened over time. There, there's, this is a strategy. So I want to ask you, like, what is the point? Why is all this happening? Who, who is putting forth this strategy and what is the end game? Oh, listen to you. Aren't you good? This is why we liked your colleague, Hayden, Hayden Ludwig, okay? Because he had his finger, he's got his finger on one of the very important elements of it. So, so let's take it in reverse order, the gender ideology. Um, the gender ideology, the end game of the gender ideology, and I think people can see this now, the end game is to remove male and female as legal and social categories, to have all of that swept away, okay? That's where they want to be. Um, and, you know, why do people want that? Well, that's, that, that's an interesting question, but somehow our maleness and femaleness offends their sense of equality, Say mm -hmm. because men and women are never a hundred percent equal, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so if they're if you're really obsessed with equality, you're going to be you know it's going to be a continual irritant to you. Mm -hmm. um, and and likewise amongst my free market economist friends who are radical individualists, a lot of them, you know, the fact that you as an individual, every single individual acting as an individual, is sterile. You have got mm -hmm. to have the cooperation of another person in order to have a baby. Mm -hmm. And maybe you love the other person. Maybe you make a purchase at the sperm bank, but you got to have that other person somewhere along the line, you know. And so I, I think a lot of our radical individualist friends are are offended by male female differentiation, sure. you know. So so that's the end game for those guys. Um, the end game for the divorce ideology is, uh, and I've seen this. Trust me, I've seen this in law reviews back in the day. They want contract parenting, Jerry. They want contract parenting. And what that means is that there's no presumption that the biological, the, the people who contribute the biological material mm -hmm. should have a privileged position in being considered the legal parents of the uh, child. See, this is so, the state and, owns the child, not the parents is where you're going. Well, well, yeah, ultimately, yes. Yeah. But where they think they're going, where they think they're going is we two, three, four adults are going to make a contract and we're going to decide and we're going to work together and there's no biological privilege, say, mm -hmm. you know, the fact that you're the real mama shouldn't privilege you in any way, you know, um, and what they don't realize is that, it, it, that they think that's going to make them free, but what they don't realize is that it is going to be the state in the end that decides, right, mm -hmm. because whatever the rules the state has for resolving disputes, that's what's going to kick in. That's what's, and you could see that you could see that already, Jerry. You could see that already in 2010, 2011. You are, you were already seeing these lesbian custody cases that were in dispute, and how the judges would decide them. If you had an ideological judge, how they decided, and you know how they were, uh, you know, massaging the existing yeah. statutory laws and stuff like that. Um, but but the radicals, that's what they want. They yeah. want contract parenting because it's individualistic. You see, it's all the adults getting I to make see. choices. See, that's mm -hmm. how they think. And then and then the contraceptive ideology, this is where your buddy Hayden Ludwig is totally correct. The end game of that is population control, 100%. Mm -hmm. 100%. The people financing that, um, the Warren Buffetts of the world, John D. Rockefeller III, mm -hmm. the first and still most problematic in a way, um, um, uh, George Soros, Bill Gates, all these people, these billionaires, 
they think there are too many people in the world. Mm -hmm. And the end game, the end game of the contraceptive ideology is population control and yeah. plain and simple. So, you know, there's nothing, we, this elevator hasn't hit the bottom floor. Yeah, I think uh, I think you're spot on with it. Obviously, uh, it's uh, it's it's a shame what's going on, but it's it's having devastating consequences to to everything. I mean, you're an economist; you can t the economy, uh, our family life, our, our cultures, our values. It's across the board. So, Jennifer, you know, give us some. What can people like uh, everyday citizens who are really against this? I'll call it evil ide ideologies. How, what can they do to stand up against this? So the first thing you have to have is you have to be confident that you're right. Okay. Mm -hmm. People come to your channel because they agree with you. Okay. But on these issues, on the marriage and family issues, people have a lot of trouble standing firm, often because they have family members that they're in conflict with over various things. Okay. And, and that is, oh, it's diabolical, really, the way it breaks up families, you know. Um, but... But you won't stand firm unless you're really sure that you're right. Okay, mm -hmm. and so that's really where the Ruth Institute comes in. You know, if you sign up for our newsletter, you'll hear from us every week, and you'll get some tidbit about this or that and how you can confront it. You know, maybe some evidence about it because we'll interview an expert on the subject. Mm -hmm. You know, that kind of thing, so that you can feel confident that the intuitions that you have based on your own experience and based on, you know, what your mom taught you and, um, mm -hmm. and what you're learning in your, in your church and so on, that those, in, those intuitions are correct. And so confidence is the number one thing that you, that you need. And then mm -hmm. once you have that, well, then you can do all kinds of things. You know, then you can be going down to your uh, school board and, and, and throwing a fit, or you can be going over to your library board. Or, um, you know, one of my followers, you know, I, I stay in touch with a lot of the, you know, when people donate to me, I, I, I call them, I talk to them and stuff like that. Um, and, and they tell me things that they do. You know, so I have a, I have a follower who was himself a graduate of one of the military academies. And he found out there was a DEI uh, safe space reading room at the academy. Mm -hmm. And he's going, oh my gosh, you've got to be kidding me. Like these kids who come in there you know, from, from good conservative red states, yeah. they're like, they're going to be, they're going to be comfortable in a DEI you know, right. exclusion, you know, so he wrote a detailed letter. He wrote a letter to the, whoever it was at this, at this service academy. He said, I have some books to donate to you. <laughs> and he donated books right. along our side, uh, you, you know, and so whoever you are, wherever you are, you know, you need to bloom where you're mm -hmm. planted. You need to tend your own garden. Um, and so I can't tell you every detail of what you need to do in your spot, but I, I do know that you're going to feel better if you're doing something and you're going to be more effective if you're confident, For confident that you know what you're talking about. Right. And so that's why. And, and you know what? We, we have a new report that I put out that we give to everybody when they sign up for a newsletter. It's called Refuting the Top Five Gay Myths. And basically, it's just systematically taking down the claim that people are born gay and all the things that flow from that, you know, um, just showing the What's the latest science, actually? There's sure. no gay gene, people. There's no gay gene. Come on. <laughs> you know, um, right. and just kind of go, going through it in a systematic way. So if you sign up, that's what you get. Um, and that's the kind of stuff that you get. You know, you could just crash into our website and you'll find something um, on awesome. every page or something, you know, that you can use. So, 
But Jennifer, this is great. I really enjoyed our discussion. I think uh, very informative and you have so many resources available. So I just want to say thank you for all that you're doing. I mean, you've been doing so much for such a long period of time. You're a wealth of knowledge. And I just want to say God bless you and and keep up the fight because we need you. Well, thank you so much, Jerry. It's, It's a pleasure getting acquainted with you and your organization. And I really appreciate being your guest today. All right. Well, that's our show for today. Thank you so much for tuning in and supporting conservative media. Don't ever forget that by working together and staying diligent, we conservatives can bring our country back to true greatness. Until next week, let's all keep praying that God will continue to bless America. First Right, a new kind of news summary without the liberal slant. Every morning, in your inbox, always free. Subscribe by texting First Right to 30161. That's first right, all caps, one word to 30161.